The best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. We'll get into our discussions at this point in time, as I've been saying to you all morning long. We'll be discussing now the Revenue Authority. I heard about it in the budget. The Minister of Finance says it's coming on stream in 2024. We've been hearing about this Revenue Authority for, for, for well over a decade. It's been a contentious issue, and uh, there are so many... So many discussions that we've had on it. Many people are still not clear as to how it's going to work, whether or not we're going to get the benefits that we've been told will come with the Revenue Authority. Joining us now to discuss this is a gentleman. He's been at the forefront of many of those discussions, some of the protests back in 2009 and 2010 related to the Revenue Authority. He featured prominently. Let's welcome to our program, Mr. David Abdullah. Good morning to you and welcome to our show. Morning, morning, Saturday morning to everyone on Freedom 106.5. Thanks for having me this morning. It's nice to have you with us here. Revenue Authority, we've been discussing this for a pretty long period of time. And it takes me back. Uh, I know that this discussion um, on the Revenue Authority started in, I think it was 2009 or somewhere around there with Patrick Manning as Prime Minister, raising the specter of what the Revenue Authority would be and the impact it would have on customs and on borrowing and on revenue and all these other things. I remember back then, um, in my television days, that there would be lunchtime protests around the Red House about this um, and many other issues. And those turned um, pretty, I don't want to say violent, but volatile with the, with, the, with the opposition to some of the ideas. Let's go back before we uh, delve into what's taking place at this point in time. Uh, you've been involved um, in one way or the other in discussions on the Revenue Authority. You've had your position Let's remind people of how all of this came about and what were some of the concerns back then, which may still be pertinent today. Yes, well, you're correct um, in that the Revenue Authority, there were were several major reforms being proposed by the Manning government, one dealing with tax collection. One was to um, establish the Revenue Authority, which would have replaced the Board of Inland Revenue and Customs and Excise Division. And the second one was property tax. So there were protests against both taking place at the time. Um, and that, of course, in, it, it culminated in December 2009 um, with a major protest, particularly against the property tax, um, when I was I was arrested. Um, I, I was subsequently um, exonerated by the by the, the Marshall's court, we went to the court of appeal where I won that matter as well, and so on. So the um, protests continued um, into 2010 in terms of statements being made, um, opposition by civil society organizations to both the Revenue Authority and to property tax. And of course, the government then changed on the 24th of May 2010, and the Manning proposals, both for property tax and for um, the Revenue Authority, went no further for five years. Now, well, in terms of property tax, I believe there was some statement by the Minister of Finance at the time, Larry Hawaii, about the establishment of, of property tax, but nothing was actually implemented. So fast forward to post-2015, September 7th, when the PNM government, Dr. Rowley, came into office, you would have heard in successive budgets. I mean, I didn't go back to check um, the 2016 budget, which was being the first one presented by Mr. Imbert's Minister of Finance, but I'm pretty certain that um, more or less every year in the budget, there is a statement about the government's intention 
to introduce and or implement the Revenue Authority. Um, there, there has been the passage in the Parliament of the legislation to establish the Revenue Authority. Um, there is a matter before the court um, with respect to whether or not uh, public servants' rights have been infringed um, by the establishment of the Revenue Authority. And so I can't comment on what that is. We'll have to wait to see what the courts determine on, on that particular matter. Now, um, our view, the MSA's position, has always been that, well, two, two, two or three positions um, that, that we need to articulate together. One is that the country is not getting all the taxes that it should get because there are many people who are either not paying taxes or who are avoiding taxes or finding loopholes in the tax mechanism. Um, and so we don't get the benefit of the revenue that we ought to be getting as a country, which means that a lot of the things that citizens require are not being done because the revenue is not being collected because people are not paying the correct taxes or not paying taxes at all. So there's, there is a problem. And that has been stated by Minister of Finance, um, both openly. Um, this Minister of Finance has stated it openly. In fact, in the last budget, he said something like between 8 and $10 billion a year um, should be collected that is not being collected. That's a huge amount of money. That's um, you know one, one quarter to one-fifth of the entire budget that is not being collected, 20% of the entire budget um, is not being collected. So we, we could ha not have a budget deficit if we were collecting all the taxes. Um, so that is that is a major issue. Related to that is the issue of transfer pricing by the multinational corporations um, in the gas sector in particular, where they are selling gas, um, say coming out of LNG, to um, a subsidiary of the same multinational corporation, just just to make the arithmetic simple, let us say they're selling it at five dollars um, US per MMBTU, and then that subsidiary sells it on the open market at seven or eight dollars US per per MMBTU. It therefore means that the real market price of our gas should have been seven or eight dollars, but the, the multinational was selling it to another subsidiary at $5. That is known as transfer pricing. So they're transferring the product from one subsidiary to another within the same global corporate multinational. Um, and then they can locate, um, well, they reduce, therefore, their tax liability here in Trinidad and Tobago because we'd be collecting tax on the basis of a $5 figure and not the 7 or $8 figure. And we've been losing billions of dollars over the years because of transfer pricing. It used to happen way back in the 60s and, and some early 70s with the refinery, Texaco, um, used to use transfer pricing. And that is why the Eric Williams government actually introduced um, a refinery throughput tax so that for every barrel of oil that was refined, the government would collect taxes because it could not rely on what Texaco said was its profit being made out of the refinery in Trinidad to pay um, taxes on profits because it was hiding those profits by using transfer product to Textrade would sell the product to Textrade and Textrade would then sell it 
on the open market. And the price that Textrin got was very small, and therefore the profit on the refinery was small, and, and therefore the taxes were small. To get around that, the Williams government introduced what was known as a refinery throughput tax, so that the country would benefit uh, more fully from the value of the products produced in the refinery with our labor and so on by way of taxing. So um, the, the transfer pricing mechanism is not something new in the international energy uh, business. And, and the, the gas companies are doing that um, coming out of LNG, and we've been losing billions of dollars a year. Um, the Minister of Finance himself has spoken about this repeatedly over several budgets. And he again spoke about it in this last budget. But um, it seems as if talking about it and getting something done are two different things. Mm. So there's, that's the second issue of the loss of tax revenue. The third position that we have is that um, it is not necessary to have the revenue authority to ensure that the country collects all the taxes. There are other ways that can be used with the existing border Inland revenue and the existing customs and excise to ensure the country gets its, full, its, its, its correct amount of, of taxes in the in the country. There's a fourth related issue, and that is that a number of local companies are, are structured as regional, so they're regional companies. They're, they're now not just operating nationally. Um, and what they're doing is actually locating some of their profit centers outside of Trinidad and Tobago where they're paying less tax. So it, it therefore means that um, when you look at some of these big companies, their profits are increasing. The Ansa Macals and the Masses and some of these other big companies, um, Republic Bank and so on, their profits are actually going up, but the percentage of tax that they're paying is actually not going up as much as their profits. And, and that suggests that, that they're um, legally, not illegal, they're legally able to manipulate the tax system in such a way that they're minimizing their tax. Mm. Payments, and, and that is another issue that we have to address. With the Revenue Authority, because we've been told that the Revenue Authority is a silver bullet to all these things, and that is the <laughs> that is the, the 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 discussion. When you speak about Revenue Authority, you swear to God, that's manna from heaven, and go fix all the problems that we have when it comes to the taxation and people evading paying their taxes. And what's your opinion? Will it really bring us all these benefits that we're being told it will? I don't. I don't think it will. Um, you know, we, we have been told in the past, you know, that, you know, you change the, the structure and, and get around the old public service arrangements by setting up these, in a sense, um, special purpose operations, right? Because mm -hmm. the Revenue Authority would be a separate legal entity. Um, and, and so this is supposed, as you say, the silver bullet. It doesn't necessarily work that way. Yes, there are old practices and 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 traditions and culture within the Board of Inland Revenue and Customs, which are clearly antiquated and so on. But when I was on the Economic Development Advisory Board, we began to look at the issue of tax collection. And uh, myself and one other member did have meetings with persons, um, both from within the BIR and who were outside of the BIR, but who were experts in the area of, of tax and tax law and, and tax collection and setting up tax systems and coming out of that we never i never got around to writing up our recommendations um, and so that didn't go forward to the prime minister or the minister of finance i was a little slow on writing it up but 
Um, what we were finding out is that there are ways of, with the existing BIR system, of um, dealing with those who are not paying taxes. Very, very simply, for example, um, the BIR has what is known as the, the tax roll. Roll is simply a list of everybody who is supposed to be paying taxes, yes? Now, that those roles are deficient, um, but they can be using technology. So BIR um, tax rules are computerized, and therefore you could cross-reference those rules with, say, the company's registrar, um, the, the registrar of companies, list of companies that are registered um, to see where there are gaps. Because you may have a company that is registered that is not on the BIR's role. Um, you can actually send young people, and during the um, COVID pandemic, we recommended that um, we hire a lot of young people um, in our roadmap for recovery, the MSA's roadmap for recovery, to go and literally walk the streets and see what companies exist on on all the streets of this country. Um, the, there, there's a GIS mapping system in the country. So you cross-reference the GIS mapping with physical evidence of which companies exist. You don't have to send the young people into a shop or into a business space for them to get abused, but they could they could stand and take photographs and, and take a list and so on. And cross-reference that with your role and the company's registry. <laughs> Sorry, the, the registrar of companies listing, you could cross-reference that with um, your yellow pages. Um, you could cross-reference that with applications for for food badges and licenses, bar licenses, and a whole range of things like that. So it is possible to um, identify persons who or companies and individuals who ought to be paying taxes and who are not, and then have an approach to get those persons on the roll and paying their correct taxes. Um, we also have said, because uh, quite obviously is corruption in, in the system, not only at BIR and customs, but there's corruption elsewhere, licensing and so on. And we have said quite openly, MSG's position is that, that everyone in those very, um, very special institutions, very sensitive institutions, ought really to be taking lie detector tests so that we can weed out the corrupt elements Yes, um, because fraud and corruption, white-collar crime is a, a serious thing. And there are other things that can be done to deal with it. The Financial Intelligence Unit, um, we argue that the Financial Intelligence Unit should be, um, sorry, I'm just switching my parts, should be uh, of the Ministry of Finance and created as a standalone institution, independent with the powers to investigate. And you would not have had the fiasco the other day that took place in court where um, it seemed like the FIU may have gone beyond its its power. So so that's another critical institution that needs to be strengthened um, to deal with white-collar crime. And of course, white-collar crime would include tax evasion and stuff like that. So there are things that can be done outside of trying to create this brand new institution called the Revenue Authority as a silver bullet. Well, well OK. Um... And and the information you've put in the public domain is information that has been bandied about numerous times, that there are alternatives to this revenue authority and the direct impact it's going to have on customs and BIR. In your opinion, why is there, or why does there seem to be this concerted effort to move ahead with the TTRA, regardless of all the other alternatives that are being put forward? Well, I mean, the, the government would have looked at what has happened in other countries, and a number of other countries have moved away from the older 
um, systems of a board of inland revenue type arrangement and customs and excise and created um, a revenue authority. Now, there, there's a, and, and so they, they seem to have been persuaded by, by what has happened elsewhere. Now, there's another aspect of the revenue authority which can create a problem, and that is trying to merge the functions of tax collection, which is inland revenue now, and customs and excise. Of course, customs and excise also engage in collection of taxes, yes? Um, because when goods land, their excise taxes and their other duties and, and, and so on that have to be paid by people who are importing. Now, um, but on the other hand, customs and excise also have another key role, which is in ensuring that illegal goods do not enter um, Trinidad and Tobago. And if they do, that they're seized and persons who were responsible for bringing them in uh, are prosecuted. Now, that's a different kind of of activity from tax collection, yes? Um, and so when you try to merge customs and excise and um, Board of Inland Revenue into one institution, you can you can run into problems. Now, the government has suggested that, I, that they're going to try to have um, some kind of separation, operational separation. And such as I, when, when I was first asked to be on this program, I thought you were having someone representing the the new um, Chantville Revenue Authority well, on as well. We, we actually had, of like, we actually, uh -huh. we've, we've tried. We've tried and we've tried to get persons from the <laughs> Ministry of Finance and we've tried to get other, because you need that perspective in order to balance the discussion out. But it's yes. not necessary. And I was hoping, I was hoping to, have, to hear a response to, to my own, you know, Yeah, but it's not necessarily, about, it's not necessarily as easy as one would think to get these individuals to come and speak about it. That's, that's the problem. Yes, it is, because it means, therefore, that what happens is ministers or whoever make, um, you know, statements from, from, the, from the bully pul pulpit. So, so they speak in parliament or they have a press conference or they speak on a political platform where there is no um, challenge or question. Yes, your opposition may raise other issues in a debate, but you don't necessarily get the the kind of, of public engagement that, that your program. So I, I want to congratulate you on your efforts. And I was looking forward to a, a, a rigorous discussion of these issues with someone who, who represents the Revenue Authority. And that is a pity because the, the, that when people don't come on programs like this, or they come on by themselves without being engaged with, with an, another view um, and challenge, the, the persons who are really robbed are the, are the listening public. And, and the public generally. So I want to congratulate you for your efforts. And um, it was only when I heard you um, introduce me, I realized that I was going to be solo this morning because I thought that there was going to be an, an engagement with someone from the Revenue Authority. Well, but yes, I, the, that, that merger of customs and, and, and inland revenue can create problems because they, they've operated in a different culture before. Um, and as I said, customs and excise have specific rules that are not related to to tax collection. Mm. We need to take a couple of quick messages, but when we get back, of course, we continue our discussion on the Trinidad and Tobago Revenue Authority, some of the implications, how it's going to impact on people, our special guest, David Abdullah. We'll be taking some of your phone calls as well. Feel free to send your messages also to 306-1065. Stay with us. 
The best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. Welcome back. 14 minutes before 8 news at the top, our special guest this morning, David Abdullah. We're talking about the Revenue Authority. Let's take some of your calls. Hello, good morning. Morning, Satish. Our listeners and to Mr. Abdullah. Mr. Abdullah, morning. my view is uh, that this board will be owned, controlled, and directed by the PNM. My question to you now, sir, is this Revenue Authority, is it subject to the Freedom of Information Act? Or will it be subject to the Freedom of Information Act? Will it be subjected to the John Select Committee of Parliament who will uh, inspect and examine and scrutinize the operations? Could you help me there, please, Mr. Abdullah? Okay, all right, so I don't have the legal details in front of me, but I would expect that, like every other public institution, it would be subject to the freedom of information. Um, although, um, obviously, it would not be able to disclose the, um, the, the financial or tax information that, uh, of, of individual taxpayers, yes? So if you ask for F FOI, for the BIR now, of how much David Abdullah is paying or not paying, or, or Satish is paying or not paying, you, you wouldn't get that, right? Similarly, it wouldn't happen with with the, the Revenue Authority because that then violates, you know, the individual's right to privacy as distinct from decisions that have been made um, overall. Mm -hmm. But let, let me just say that um, one of the arguments for the, the, the Revenue Authority is that the existing public service arrangements um, have, have frustrated the functioning of the BIR in the sense that they're, there are, there are, I don't know, well over 100, I think, vacancies in the existing BIR. So there's a shortage of staff, and therefore BIR can't do all of its work. That's one, one issue. And secondly, that promotions, of course, are made um, by, the, um, by the Public Service Commission, and that the, you therefore may be getting people in positions of higher and higher responsibility who are not necessarily... Um, as competent as they ought to be, I'm not. I'm not pointing at individuals. I'm just making a general statement. Um, as as competent as they ought to be to deal with increasingly complex matters of tax and tax evasion, given um, you know the changed financial architecture all over the world and so on. So, so those are some of the things that that the the, the government would claim a revenue authority would deal with because because the the hiring practices will then enable a different quality of person and a different salary range because the, the salaries will be separated from in terms of, of the, the quantum of salaries will be separated from public servant salaries which as you know are, are the very low side and therefore many professionals don't stay in the public service not just in BIR but generally because um, remuneration is much better outside and they have to, you know, seek the welfare of themselves and their families. But those issues can be resolved um, and have to be resolved. In other words, the Chief Justice spoke about the need for, for public sector reform. We definitely need public sector reform, but it doesn't necessarily mean creating a whole set of new institutions. What it means is that we have to deal with um, the, the public service, teaching service. All these commissions ought to be full-time persons. They're part-timers, so they spend a couple of hours a week trying to deal with hundreds of matters. It's inefficient, and you get bottlenecks. And then the Office of the Director of Personal Administration is overwhelmed. 
because they're servicing, teaching, um, you know, a whole range of things. So there are clearly things that, that require public service reform, um, which does not necessarily require setting up new institutions, but rather the government, successive governments have shied away from serious public sector reform and therefore have gone the way of trying to create parallel institutions. Let's take another call. Hello, good morning. Morning, Satish, and morning to Mr. Abdullah. Morning. Mr. Abdullah, you know, um, we have to admit that corruption is endemic in Trinidad. I remember the years when the porter would approach you at the airport, $100 for him, $500 for the customs officer, and you could get anything you want. There's a saying in Trinidad, show me a customs officer and I will show you a rich man. David, there was a time when you had to get something called a tax clearance if you came to leave the country. All you have to do, the girl come downstairs by KFC, you put some money in the box, by the time you go back upstairs, you get your clearance to receive and you could leave the country. We can't keep doing business like this. I want to congratulate the minister for passing something resembling a revenue authority because we know it's not the real thing. And we have to see how that works. The minister said he's going to collect $10 billion. He's being coy. He will collect at least double that. Mala Dukan was on this program, and she said to Satish and I that the revenue deficit is something like 50%, not 40%, which the IMS and the World Bank has said. We can't keep doing business like this. So at the end of the day, while I have this matter in court with one customs officer um, claiming that she would be disadvantaged by the implementation of it, all they are doing is delaying the people of China and Tobago collecting the right revenue to change this country. You know, the minister this morning on the program with his advertisement giving 15000 to people to start a business, we should be doing much more of that. We'd get less crime. So at the end of the day, I want to say the revenue authority is a good thing, and I listen to your comments. Okay, thanks. And, and yes, I spoke about corruption, which is why I said people should be all subject to a lie detector test. We also need to strengthen and implement the um, proceeds of crime um, legislation, where if somebody has a big house and on a salary of 4000 or $5,000 or $7,000, and you have a $5 million house, um, you can't show that that was a result of being the beneficiary of your grandfather's will then that property should be seized. Um, so, so we definitely need to go after corruption in a big way. But, uh, you know, Lloyd Best once said that when everybody is corrupt, corruption is no longer a problem. And we unfortunately, we get into that point. So we are very much against corruption. The Revenue Authority wouldn't necessarily stop corruption, right? Um, so, so we need to do other things to do the corruption. And I, I was making the point earlier that there are ways of increasing and getting what is supposed to be paid because a lot of people are not paying what they're supposed to pay in taxes and they're getting away with it. Um, I remember speaking to, to, to one, one person who was in the cabinet and I said, well, you know, you want to close it, the, the budget deficit and you're saying there's a $10 billion gap. Why don't you go after that and get people to pay taxes? And his position was, well, you know, I was told that the people, if we do that, those are the people who are not paying taxes who finance the party. So it, 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 it goes to the root of, of party finance legislation as well, which the MSJ has called for, and which is, there is a piece of legislation before the parliament right now, the amendment to um, the, the um, 
representation of the People Act Amendment, Bill Number 2, I think, of 2020, we have made a very detailed submission to the Joint Select, Special Select Committee of Parliament that is looking at it, and we have heard nothing since. So neither the PNM nor the UNC are interested in regulating party finance reform. And so all of these things are tied in, yes? Not just the PNM, eh? I heard the caller talk, better bottom dollar. The UNC was not interested in collecting taxes. I know that for, I could say that without fear of contradiction. Let's take another call. Hello, good morning. Good morning, calling from Penal. Morning, David. Yes, yeah, morning. Um, you know, um, the minister is expecting to collect about 10 billion more if he gets his revenue authority the way he wants it and so on. Um, but we are hearing that the BIR could have done more, and, and this is an argument that had been around for some time, if they were properly staffed and and given the necessary offices and what what whatever they need, they are under resourced. And therefore we have been losing out of that possible ten billion some money that we could collect under the BIR. For whatever reason, as you just pointed out, nobody seems to be interested, you know, for, for their various reasons. And then um, we have our friend Eric doing his own calculation, coming up with billions, 40 billion the other day, now it's 30. And it's out of a percentage that some economists spoke about when the economy was different. You know, so we get all of these games being played. Um, you know, can you address that, please? Thank you. Yeah, well, the, the issue of the staffing is not a, um, a, a, a matter that the minister can deal with, right? Staffing is done and appointments are made by the service commissions. And so the service commissions have been, um, have not um, filled out the required staffing, approved staffing complement of the Board of Inland Revenue. So that, that is an issue. Now, whether, whether um, there, and, and you know, the, the government not supposed to interfere with service commissions, right? We heard a lot about that when we went over the issue of the um, police service commission before. So, but quite clearly, the government can, and that would require a special majority of parliament, can bring to, to the parliament legislation to reform the service commissions, to have commissioners um, working full-time to um, improve to, to, to maybe split the office of the director of public administration, which supports the service commissions, into several different um, units in, in, in a formal legal way, so that each service commission is in fact supported by the necessary administrative staff and so on, um, so that we can get the work done. Um, job evaluations are also vital so that you get um, the the right job specs for because because for example um, you you years ago you had a clerk stenographer I don't remember that where people used to take shorthand right in in, the, in with technology you know with you know voice to 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 um, text uh, translation and, and AI and so on a clerk stenographer is not a a job you don't need a stenographer right but those are still some of the some of the ancient kind of, of of employment arrangements within the public service. So all those things need to be changed. 
and and the you know governments have been very slow to deal with public service reform and that would also involve engaging in in the kind of um, discussion with the trade unions because those things go to the root of people's employment contracts and so on so we need to do all of that and make sure therefore that the public service is reprofessionalized we've been losing too many professionals in the public service so we need to reprofessionalize the public service at different levels um, so that it is the public service has the staffing that is with the right skills and training and competencies and abilities and so on and structures in terms of information and communication internally with within ministries and departments to get to get the job done so those are things that have to be tackled with great urgency right but the government to, to not tackling that root issue trying to therefore go a different way by establishing parallel institutions or new institutions to do what what the public service would have been doing before okay we need to take a couple of, well we have need to head to the news and after the eight o'clock news we continue a bit with our discussion taking some more of your calls with our special guest here this morning david abdullah as we continue to discuss the trinidad to bigger revenue authority and the impact it's going to have on each and every one of us news is next stay with us the best insight, instant feedback, accountability. The all-new Talk Radio Freedom 106.5. Yes, this morning, Mr. David Abdullah. We're discussing the Trinidad and Tobago Revenue Authority and some of the implications. How is it going to impact on, on our economy? Are we going to get the kind of results we're being told? How is it going to impact on individuals, on businesses and everything else? Uh, Mr. Abdullah, there's a question you may be able to answer or not, but... We've seen numerous instances where state agencies were renamed, rebranded, and we didn't necessarily see the kind of, 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 of improvement in service that we were expecting. But before I get to that, let me just take this call. Hello, good morning. Satish, me again and Mr. Abdullah. The IDB Mr. Abdullah was asking the question, why amnesty? Why did you collect your taxes? Why did you downgrade your other department, the IDB? <clears throat> they did a tax administration diagnostic assessment tool on the border in another avenue. So somebody was sabotaging the border in another avenue inside there. They refused to collect the taxes, Mr. Abdullah. And then they come with the amnesty. They downgraded the other department. And the IDB asked them why. Why did you do that? That is why. You know, in my view, I want to repeat it. That board will be owned, controlled, and directed by the, by the PNM. Mr. Abdullah, you know, the PNM is our party paramountcy and has your money. And that's the problem. Some all right, all right. Thank you well, so much. Well, let, let, me, let me just say, let me just say, right, first of all, that the, the, the minister cannot interfere right now with the BIR. So if you're saying that there was sabotage, that sabotage took place inside the BIR, right, that's what you're saying, eh? within the BIR and would not have been subject to any um, impact by, by the minister. So in a sense, what you're contradicting yourself there. Um, in terms of the tax amnesty, obviously the minister trying to collect more tax, so you're giving people a die to pay up tax without, without interest and, and so on, um, in an attempt to, to, to close the tax gap. Successive governments have done that. The, the partnership government also had a tax amnesty at least once, if not twice. If my memory serves me right, you could go back and check that. So let, let's not try to just say the PNM did it. Let me just be very, very clear, right? That that the, the partnership 
was not interested in trying to go after everybody who was not paying their taxes. Right? I say that without fear of contradiction because I was told that by senior members of the partnership cabinet. All right, so let me just leave that right there. All right, so the issue of the structuring of the, of the revenue authority is of concern, yes. The, in order, what the minister did, I'm not defending him because I made my position very clear. I'm not for the revenue authority. What the minister did was to try to separate the, um, the, the, the persons who would be responsible for compliance within the revenue authority and have them continue to be public servants under the authority of the service commission and the rest of the persons um, not compliance. In other words, not people who are going after non-persons who are not paying the taxes. You're saying those compliance persons would be separate. If you go back and look at the, the amendments, apparently that was the amendment that was made. And I was hoping to have had somebody this morning from the Revenue Authority to clarify exactly how that was going to work in practice. Because when that statement was made by the minister, I had a I had a press conference. I don't. Not, I think I issued a formal statement um, criticizing that position. So I am with you on the issue of being against the revenue authority. But let me make it absolutely clear to all those persons who are politically um, opposed, well, in support of the UNC, that the UNC was not interested in going after persons who were not paying their taxes. And I say that without fear of contradiction. Okay. All right. Yeah. So it's a national problem that we are facing in terms of people who are not paying the right taxes. And I also stated it is not only individuals who are working or people who are who own companies, um, locals. I'm talking about the multinational corporations who engage in transfer pricing, which is a huge loss of tax revenue to this country. Yes. Let's take another call. The UNC did nothing about transfer pricing. At least this minister spoke about it. He's done nothing about it. But the UNC didn't speak about transfer pricing um, and the, the way in which the multinationals were ripping us off. So it's a, it's a national problem. And it has to be confronted in a national way. And both the parties in parliament um, are not the solution to our problems, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, keep trying us on 627-322-3625-2257. We had somebody trying to get on the tunnel, but... There's a, sure. there's a fundamental question that I think needs to be answered. Because as I said, we've had numerous instances where we were told state agencies weren't doing well and we needed to rebrand them, yes. rename them and so on. Yes, Satish, you're right. And we so you had the education, a critical, a, 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 a perfect example of that was the establishment of the Education Facilities Company Limited, which was supposed to be responsible for um, maintenance of schools and making sure that schools are ready for the start of the school year. Um, and which would have been previously the responsibility of some department within the Ministry of Education um, and perhaps Ministry of Works might have had some input as well. So we created this monster called the Education Facilities Company Limited, which is now shut down, owing millions of dollars to different contractors. Obviously, there was a lot of corruption going on over the years, successive governments again, um, and it was a bureaucracy. Uh, workers employed there were not being paid towards the end. They, they and all were suffering. And, and you had a bureaucracy of boards and senior managers and so on, which are totally unnecessary. And there are other state agencies that are similar to that, which were unnecessary. We created a rural development company. Um, we, we other, other institutions that 
take, took over functions of local government. So it'd be interesting now to see with local government reform whether um, you know some of these parastate or state enterprises will be done away with, and, and we put all of the resources back into. You remember, county councils used to have steam rollers and dump trucks and barber green machines and all of that to do road works. All of that disappeared, and, and we went into a system where private contractors were then hired to do the work. So there's also that issue of enriching private some private contractors rather than having the work done by what used to be county councils, now regional corporations. So the whole system of how we mobilize our assets and resources in this country to deliver the right services for the people in communities, we have to take a look at that. So you're right, Satish. We are not happy with a lot of these special purpose state enterprises. Let's take another call. Hello, good morning. Good morning again, Sadish. Sadish, I want to ask your guest. Um, Trinidad has received billions of dollars during the COVID time, and um, apparently a lot of it is missing. Would a revenue authority be able to do research and find out where those missing billions went? Another thing, um, a minister rented and received billions of dollars in rent when there was free government space, would the Revenue Authority be able to check and see why they didn't take the government space and the rent from the minister? Thank you. The answer to both questions is no. The Revenue Authority will have no, has nothing to do with procurement of rental space by, by the government. Um, that, that, is, that is something very separate from collecting taxes from people who are supposed to pay taxes. Right, so the answer to those questions is no, and the, the revenue authority can't investigate where either loans or grant funds that were received by the government how that was spent. That is that is that is not the revenue authority's um, remit whatsoever. Um, so, so the answer to both those questions are no. I don't know that there was any missing money. Well, there may have been money that was not um, effectively used, but monies that would have been received by the government would be have to be accounted for um, and in, in, you know, in, in one way or the other. And people could get freedom of information um, processes to, to find out exactly how money that may have been received during COVID was actually spent. I know statements have been made um, in terms of that, but you could get freedom of information statements um, inf with requests to, to, to ferret out that information if you're not satisfied. But that is not under the Revenue Authority whatsoever. In terms of procurement, the new procurement um, architecture with the Office of the Procurement um, Regulator mm -hmm. um, would try to ensure that the country gets value for money so that um, rental of, of, of a building, um, the procurement regulator, the, there will be procedures to go out to tender for for. for building leases or rentals and so on um so so that would fall perhaps under the under the procurement regulator second call hello, hello good morning so, mr abdullah so i don't have any position to influence the government but if if you are or if well you're, you're not because you're not in the government so and you don't have a party to to, to represent to make that meaningful change so, the politician and them who are in the position, the opposition and government, they are mature enough to know what is taking place in this country, right? And 
the approach you should be taking is if you don't see the government whoever is in charge, which is the winner take our constitution, my friend, and there is no two ways about it. And if the government is not taking that step to bring meaningful change to the country, first to begin, before you accept your citizen, you should have, you should have been dealing with your rental. And that is where you should be speaking about telling the ministers and them that, okay, this, we have so much land, we have so much resources, over a billion of dollars per month. All right, all right, call that thing. You're off track. You're off track. We talk, we're talking about a specific thing here. It had nothing to do with rental. It had nothing to do with procurement. And all of those things, that's procurement regulation. That's the Procurement Regulation Act and all those things. It's two totally separate, different things. Um, and I, I, I need all to understand that because uh, all of a sudden to, to get them calling about the same thing and it's not what we're talking about. Um, what I understand, all they want to beat up on the government, all they want to beat up on fires and this one and that one and the next one and the other. That's time. We have time for a different discussion on that. This is, this is something more important. Because the revenue authority coming on stream is going to impact on everyone who pays taxes, who are paying taxes and businesses and all these things. And, and to trivialize courage here this morning, there's a pertinent question, probably an, an element of this discussion that um, I don't know if you've been given enough information on. And as I suggested, we have all these state companies that we set up forever that don't ever seem to work the way we want them. How is the revenue authority expected to get it done? Uh, uh, is, is there going to be changes to the legislation to how the revenue authority, the, 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 the teeth the revenue authority will have, or are we just changing the name, putting them in a different building, slap on a new banner and say, well, here, well, go after these people that all they wasn't going after all the while, or, or, or unable to get all the while. What's going to be different? Well, yeah, that that is that is a key question. I mean, there is a new building that was constructed, and so custom and excise and BIR factor in one of the buildings um, just on Ajax Street, you know, Ajax Street, mm -hmm. the short street yes. opposite the, um, the, um, the the waterfront complex. So there is a new building, so they have a new building there already. Um, but the, I, I can't say, I mean, Satish, I think the proof of the pudding is in the eating, yes? Um, we have argued for a different approach to um, dealing with the, the problems of tax collection, because there are problems of tax collection in the country and tax avoidance and so on, um, and there are problems with customs in excise. So we have argued for a different approach. This is what the government has implemented. Now, depending on what the court rules eventually, we will the, the revenue authority will then either be able to start or it will not be able to start. Assuming that it starts, then um, if the courts give clearance and, and the government wins the case, I don't know what which way it will go, then with the revenue authority, we will have to see now in two, three years' time whether in fact it is working or it is not working. In other words, whether there's improvement in tax collection, whether there appears to be, you know, infringement of people's rights and so on and so on. We that the proof of the pudding will be the eating, right? I can't say from now that it will work or it will not work. What what I can say is that there were other ways of going about it, and we did make that statement on many occasions that there are other ways, and we put forward the mechanisms that could be implemented under the existing system to um, to improve our tax collection and deal with those who are not paying taxes as they're supposed mm. to pay. Um, but I, that, what you're asking me there is, will this work? Um, I, I I really don't. The proof of the pudding will be eating, yeah. and therefore. One will we will have this discussion in two years' time, 
Um, and we could say, well, we told you so. And somebody else would say, well, we told you so. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and you're but right. The, 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 only thing, the only thing that would appear to be different is a different organizational structure, right? And, and a hiring process for some of those positions. While some people can migrate from their existing job to the, the revenue authority, so they have been guaranteed some job security in that regard. Um, they will then have to fit into a new organizational structure with different grades and job uh, positions and salaries. And therefore, one hopes that that will result in a more efficient system. But there's no guarantee of that in my view. Mm. We're going to have to leave it here this morning because we do have another interview scheduled to start in not too long from now. But um, sure. we've just scratched the surface because there is yes. so much yet to discuss about this revenue authority and how it's going to be implemented, if it's going to be implemented, the courts and everything else. I'm sure that we'll have further discussions moving forward. I want to thank you for being with us here this morning, Mr. Abdullah, and giving us your view and your insight into this very, very controversial matter. Thank you once again for being here. Thanks, thanks, Satish. And one, one just very quick thing I wanted to say about property tax, um, since it's related to the issue of taxes, and that is that in all of you, the government should have started with industrial and commercial properties because industrial and commercial properties are earning money. Yes, they're making profit from the from, from that asset and therefore they should be paying profit. You should pay property tax before you get to residential properties. And with respect to residential properties, they should start with those that are valued highest first before you get down to lower value mm. properties yeah I mean that's yeah. Another, another discussion that we'll probably have in yes the future. for sure yeah. yes i, I yeah. want to thank you once again okay. for being with us here this morning and for your insight thank into some of these matters that of course that's, that, that's all we dropped the curtains this morning on our interview with uh david abdullah the best insight instant feedback accountability the all-new talk radio freedom 106.5